preferences. Well, Jeremiah has no, great, no greater power in his prophecies, but they happen sooner. So that is to say that most, the majority of his prophecies, he speaks of times to come that are then seen, and then he speaks and identifies more and seen. And so he's a prophet that is, serves an interesting role where he gets to see a lot of his prophecies fulfilled. Um, and so that's just a nice different distinction than what we got to see last week with Isaiah and the Messianic prophecies. So do you guys have, do we have this sheet that we introduced last week, the kings and the prophets? So if we look on this and you have it, we're going to find ourselves. And so if you don't have this and you're like, what is he holding? Ah, great question. It's out on the uh, resource table, the welcome table out in the lobby. So this is something just to help us get an understanding of where we're at in the times uh, of the kings of the kingdoms of Judah and Israel. And so if, if you go down to the bottom of the chart, you will find yourselves uh, there on the left-hand side. So there's no right-hand side. Um, does anybody remember or know why that is, that there's no right-hand side? Come on. Oh, Tina has the answer. Yeah, they're gone. Israel's gone. They've already been taken captive. So what we had on this was on the right side, it follows Israel. And we're just looking at the, the left-hand side, which is the kingdom of Judah now, the southern kingdom of Judah. And so we find ourselves um, in Jeremiah addressing these kings down here towards the end of their reigns as Judah is taken into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. And so you get to see one of the other things, the last thing I'll point out on here is it's neat to see the contemporaries. So Jeremiah wasn't the only voice that the kingdom was hearing from. Uh, you can see the other ones that are speaking at the same time to the kingdom uh, up there as well. All right, so as we go through, what does the layout of the book of Jeremiah look like? And so we use a helpful table here. I'll have on the next slide, and you guys have it in your note sheets, uh, a little bit more of a easier to read breakdown. But it's got a really neat pattern as well, where uh, again, you'll, what you'll see is that there's a series of teachings with different audiences. And again, I mentioned earlier, Jeremiah has this distinction that he sees a lot of these being fulfilled. And so that's what we see when right now the kingdom, the this is before the fall, and then the fall takes place inside of the writing of this book. And so you can, we can see some of the writing that happens before and like the Im imminent coming of Babylon. And then we can see what happens like immediately afterwards. Uh, and as Jeremiah tells us so. And so we're going to take a snapshot last week with Isaiah. I'm like still kind of tired from Isaiah. So we did, a, we did a peak shot of every single section of Isaiah. So if you guys are okay, I'm going to put a little bit more homework on you guys as you read through it. And I'm going to cover just a couple of the sections. And so uh, you guys can cover the rest. Uh, in your own study, and I highlighted the ones that we're going to work through today. And so here, here those are, if you wanted to be able to read that a little bit easier as you guys look at the slides afterwards, you'll also be able to see them up here in the breakdown of it. And so you can see that, that we have, again, mentioned, mentioned so right about here, uh, between chapters 36 and 37, and, and then into the couple of chapters there, is when the Babylonian Empire comes and finally takes over. And that like doom that was the discussion of some of last week's reading and half of this chapter or half of this book, uh, that's where it comes in. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump right in, okay? We're going to jump in and we're going to meet up with Jeremiah 
in chapter 7. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead. We'll take a quick pause. Go ahead and turn there. So we're looking at Jeremiah 7. And since we're discussing Jeremiah, we'll basically be in here all day. So go ahead and open up, take your bookmark out, get yourself comfy. So this is Jeremiah 7. We're going to pick up in verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So there's a couple of instances. There's, there's really no doubt at all of the authorship. Several times it talks about it. From the Lord saying, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there his word and say, hearing the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. This is thus says the Lord, as we keep on reading, this is verse three now. Thus says the Lord of the God of hosts of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. But if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger and the fatherless and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood, oh, I lost my place, sorry, in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then it will cause you to dwell then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Now, so where are we? Oh sorry, I have us reading a little bit further. Let's keep going. Will you still murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know? And then come and stand before me in the house which is called by my name. And say, we are delivered to do all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I have seen it, says the Lord. So we're, we're picking up and we're meeting Jeremiah as, as he is, frankly, really laying into people of Judah. And so he has walked in and is, and is speaking to his audience is directly the people that are, are coming and going in the temple. Right, And so the temple there, imagine so that we can help better put ourselves there, uh, coming in to, to service on a Sunday, ready to worship and, and putting on this outward appearance of being entering in and, and with great care and concern and reverence for what you're about to do. And Jeremiah is sitting there almost at the doorway saying, hey guys, is this really what you're trying to believe that you're coming in here with? God is calling out through Jeremiah that I have seen what you've been doing. He talks about the incense burning and all of the other things, the abominations that the people of Judah are doing. And he's, he's writing it out and he says, but, but listen in here. I'm going to take a second to find it, sorry. Do not trust in these lying words, saying the temple and the temple are mine, right? So, so they're... They're just saying these things. They're empty, though. But if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, God, and this is something we're going to see in each of the sections that we look at today, each time God is identifying what Judah is doing wrong and providing an opportunity for a continuation of his plan of forgiveness. So even though he has to say, listen, you're bringing in all this idolatry into my temple, I'm still going to give you an option if you turn. And so even in this section, as we keep on reading, it says they bend their tongue like a bow, false, falsehood and truth. 
has grown strong in the land, and not truth, sorry, has grown strong in the land. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. This is, remember, so in Isaiah, um, Isaiah said something about how they were um, praising and worshiping the hedgehogs, right? And so is this the same thing? They don't know who their God is. It says, let everyone be aware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother. For every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to speak lies. They weary themselves with iniquity. So what is going on here is that Judah is looking at not just false worship and a relationship with their God, right? It's empty. It means nothing. But then they're also these verses in chapter 9 are looking at, they're doing, they're taking this same kind of attitude with their relationship to others, and they're walking empty in it, and they're lambasting each other with their tongues. And so as I looked at this, I thought, man, this layout of God and others, and, and the layout that, Judah, that Jer- yeah. Jeremiah is addressing to Judah looks a lot like he's identifying and wrapping up, right, the two sections of the Ten Commandments, right? These guys are so far removed that he's trying to bring it down to them and looking and saying, hey, you guys are dealing falsely with your God and with each other. And this is how bad it is in in eight, in the middle of what we were reading there. It says, were they not ashamed that they committed these abominations? No, they were not ashamed. They didn't even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, let the wise man not boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For these things I delight, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You guys remember when we looked at Isaiah last week, one of the things that really struck me was towards the end uh, in chapter 66, it's talked about that when we, he wanted that when we heard the word of the Lord, that we trembled. Yeah. And so this, this reminded me a lot of that as we continue to read in the next book. It says, for in these things I delight, steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Behold, the days are coming. Remember where we're at, right? This is before Babylon has come. They're, they're basically knocking on the door of the whole region declares the Lord, when I will punish all of those who are circumcised merely in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, the sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. God continues to identify that he doesn't just want the outward appearances that he's, he's looking at the other kingdoms. It's not really expecting it, right? See, I see what they're doing, but look at what you're doing. The house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. He's continuing to call upon his people, not just for their words or for their actions or how they move about or the fact that they come to temple, but he wants their heart. And it's in this section 
it, in the top, the summary, it says Judah and idolatry. It's man, and it's all about, at the same time, calling out how they are just looking the other way for all of these other lovers of other gods. And he's saying, I just want your heart, guys. All right, so the next section is, I'm going to, we entitled this from the, the overview, Judah in Opposition. So chapters 26 through 29. So there's a bit of a quiz in here. So in, in this section, there's a bit of a, of a well-known or a, a famous verse. Do you guys care to want to identify what it might be? So this is, this is Jeremiah 26 through 29. Anyone want to take a, a thought of what that might be? Oh, thank you, Stephen, man. Set up and psh. It's perfect when that happens. I love it. Jeremiah 29, 11. This verse, I was doing like just a, a Google search, and I was like, man, it's a strong and powerful verse. And it just so happens that you can find it on anything. You can get it on hats. You can get it on polos. You can get it on T-shirts, on hoodies. You can put it above your couch. I said, like, you could even take this, this one, man. This was the one that stuck into me. Read this with me, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, Jeremiah 29, 11. This one you could personalize to Olivia Grace right now, but you could put any name in here. You could even put your family name in here. You could say that this is for the whole Moore family. I read this and I was, yeah, I really, I'm going to get, I didn't bring one. I want to get on like a little bit of a soapbox today. As we go through Jeremiah, you guys okay if I take like five minutes and carve out a little bit of a soapbox? Mike says yes. I just needed one head on it. I was going to do it anyways. Um, so can we read before Jeremiah 29, 11? You guys do that with me? It says, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie. They are prophesying, they are, mm, sorry, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord. So what is going on? So remember, Babylon's coming, right? Looming, huge storm cloud coming, right? And all of these other prophets of, of God, but they're not, are running around saying, hey, it's going to pass over us or we'll be able to survive. We're going to look somewhere else. Remember Isaiah had a warning because Judah was looking somewhere else, right? And so these prophets are still running around saying all of that. We're going to be okay. All this stuff's going to happen. And Jeremiah's like, guys, listen in. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. So there it is in the middle. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all of the nations and all of the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I send you into exile. On one of those, the one that was above the couch, it takes and it draws it out, and it goes the whole way from verse uh, 11 to 14. 
and it's, it's so far removed from context that like they broke the verse right after it says, and I will take you out of exile, because no one's sitting on the couch in exile, because it's not applicable, right? So, so here's my soapbox, guys. When we look backwards, I'm going to just whiz there right now. Here we go. This is Jeremiah's message from God to Israel and Judah, right? Specifically now he's speaking to the subsection of Israel that is Judah. And he is laying out those verses in 29.11. So I'm not, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with looking at those verses and understanding, but here's what we should do with it. The Bible has sections that do so much just to understand the character of God from them that we don't want to, and we should be careful not to try to tweak and make us the immediate audience, but we should bask in the understanding that that gives us about the character of God. Because no, Jeremiah 29 is not for us. I'm sorry. But here's what is the character of God that stands firm in there, that he is assigning and has a plan for his people that he cares about. And as they seek out and love him with all of their heart, he will take care of them. That character of God is what we can take from Jeremiah 29, 11. So as I move forward here in my notes, right? So when we see things like peace and a future and hope, understand that we need to grasp and take a hold of his character and not look too far into promises that are given with direct audiences. And understand that even in the case of Jeremiah, when he's talking about that, and he's talking about like a promise and a hope and all those warm fuzzies, he just got done saying that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. So even at that, the scope is such that this isn't like an individual warm fuzzy. This is for the people of Israel. This isn't like for like Michelle or for Jonathan or like one individual person, right? This isn't even for David. 70 years? I'm not around. But this is for the people of Israel, his people. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. That was a longer soapbox than I thought. I was going to bring just a little thing, and it wouldn't have been big enough because I walked all around, and that took forever. But I just wanted to, as, as we read through this, I couldn't help but capture that because I just want us to be careful, right, that one of the initial things that we talked about when we did this was we wanted to increase our biblical literacy and knowledge. And so I, I just felt like if it was okay with you guys, take a couple of minutes and just pause on that one. And just we can identify again and, and be encouraged by God's character through it without necessarily taking that as like our promise. All right. So now we are looking, I'm going to jump forward a little bit, a decent amount, to chapters 34 through 36. And we are going to look at Jeremiah addressing Judah right before the fall. So this isn't like Babylon's like, you know, a couple of countries over sort of thing. This is like they're knocking on the front door. They are right there in these sections. And we're going to pick up here in 36 and read verse, we're going to start at verse 1. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations. From the day that I have spoken to you, from the days of Josiah until today. And it may be that the house of Judah will hear all of the disaster that I intend to do to them, so that everyone may turn from his evil way, and that I may forgive their iniquity. 
So this is one of those sections where we get to see God, not just give Jeremiah the words, but saying, go write this down and go send this to them. And why? God still is yearning after them for forgiveness, for reconciliation. Still, after all of this, after all the idolatry and all the, in, in the previous chapters, all of the other things that Judah keeps turning away from, it's to still want your heart. Look, but that it may be that they will hear and turn from their evil ways. So what does Judah do? After this last, a looming foreign nation over them. And Jeremiah takes and writes this down, and he goes to them and he reads it all. So what do they do? They turn, right? And they repent now. I can't hear you. Right? They're just, they're, they're just not there. They're not listening. So let's keep looking. This is in Jehudu read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire on the fire pot until all the entire scrolls were consumed in the fire. So right, Jeremiah just wrote everything. So everything that was basically in the book of Jeremiah to this point and delivered it to be read and on record so that they could tur- the people could turn their hearts. And the king gets it and he's like reading, reading, pitching, reading, burning, reading, burning. He's destroying it. Why? Because he's saying of an impending doom, and the king is trying to say, hey, we've got this, the people on our own, we can take care of this. Shut up, Jeremiah. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all of these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. There was no impact. I would, I would contend that like reading was like speed reading through and they weren't even like letting these words sink in. Nothing, nothing. And Jeremiah hears of this and man, if this is me and I just spent half of my life dictating and working through and getting all of this from God, I'm gonna sit down and just take a second and maybe not stand back up, I don't know. Um, no. Now after the king burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote in Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, take another scroll and write on it all the former words. The words that were on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, had burned. And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah, all the disaster that I have pronounced against them. But they would not hear. This is, this is it. In the, in the context in the book of Jeremiah, these are the last words that come before. And so God says, no, no, no. I want the record that I continue to reach out to live on. But here's some things that are going to happen you see, right, so in that section that we just read, again, he continually is offering forgiveness and restoration. And, and the kings, man, they're just like, I got this. Either Babylon's going to go away, or I'm going to go find some other king or kingdom, and they're going to solve my problem. We have this on our own. We're good. Go away, Jeremiah, and your God. Because it's not my God, because they don't know him. They don't even blush when they hear his words. But you see, that, that like, 
veiled, that puny little fire attempt of oppression of God's word, merely a blip on the radar, just a note on the page. Because God is omnipotent and he's omniscient and he's able just to work right through that and continue on through. And so as you read in there, I went too far, sorry. As you read in there right after this, what happens is Jehoiakim, who burned the scroll as he was reading it, his line, just his familial line, not the line of David, but his familial line ceases. So he's, he's done. That was God's last chance for that individual, but not God's people, because watch what happens as we continue to read Jeremiah. So now this is after the fall. So what has happened is Babylon has come, the kingdom of Babylon and their mighty armies have come. Indeed, they have overtaken Judah and they've carried away some, but not everyone. So it's not a ghost town, but it's getting there. And they've left some of the officers and the people in charge and they're trying to figure out what to do because it, it's pretty much basically this, imagine this, this case where it's like, all right, some portion of the army is going to come and then they're going to come back and take more and they're going to continue to pick from the land. And so the officers that are there, they're sitting there talking with each other and like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So Jeremiah tries again with his word from the Lord of what to do and try to give them instruction and watch this. Then the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah, right? Majority is away. Remnant still remains. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you set your faces to enter Egypt and go to live there, then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. And the famine of which you are so afraid of shall follow close after you to Egypt. And there you shall die. And say to them, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will set his throne above these stones. What stones are we talking about? So if you go back and read, I'm going to read here. I, I went right through, I had a notes on my slide to read, and I went right through it because I got too excited. I'm sorry. The context, David, it's really helpful. Mm. All right, I'm sorry. Let's go to um, 43. 42 and 43. So what has happened is these folks have decided, hey, we're going to flee. We're going to flee to Egypt. Um, forget this, this word that Jeremiah said that is, hey, if you stick out and, and stick, stay put, I will still provide you with coverage and redemption. And these people, they still say no. So what they do is they don't only go, they, they take Jer Jeremiah in like shackles pretty much and drag him to Egypt. And Jeremiah's like, I told you guys not to come, so here's what he does. And this is awesome. I want you guys to think about this. As you go out the lobby and you see there's like a couple of mosaics in the, the, like the large tiles, right? There's a couple that are like broken up. So think about this. Uh, as you go over those, this is what, when I walked in this morning, I was like, oh, that's really cool. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in Taphanese saying, take a large stone in your hand, right? So he just got dragged to Egypt. He says, take a large stone in your hand and hide them in the sight of the men of Judah in the clay of the brick of the courtyard, which is at the entrance of Pharaoh's house. All right, so they're entering Pharaoh's house. They're seeking asylum, basically, running away from Babylon and kind of their God. Not kind of, they basically are, because their God had said, stay 
in the land, and I will still continue to protect you. They said, no, we're going to go hide in Egypt because they find their safety and security in not their God, but other people in other kingdoms. And so Jeremiah, he just like, he takes and he like plucks a stone out and brings a stone and puts it down there and says, hey, that stone, and this is where then we, we pick up and behold, I will send Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden. And he will spread his royal pavilion over them. And when he comes, you shall strike the land of Egypt and deliver the death. And he, he keeps on going and says, no, everything that you just tried to escape is going to come here because you escaped and come, came here rather than just stayed and listened. So the hand of, and now at this point in time, it's extremely clear in several times of reference that the hand of God is enacting through the kingdom of Babylon and bringing that judgment to Israel through. But God still, even this is after the fall now, so this is just speaking to a remnant, God had still provided a means. It says, hey, if you stay in Judah, I will still provide protection. So he is still attempting to come to redemption with Israel. And, and they just said, no, 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 we're going to do our own thing again. And God says, okay, okay. His power and his plan is everywhere. So and we got to see all of the, the high characters of God through this, right? We got to see when we talked about 29, the character that he has for his people. And now as we see this enacted out, we get to see that he is omnipresent. He is capable and is everywhere. Even the stone that Jeremiah put in Egypt. I'm going to go back now. As I close, we like to highlight the scarlet thread in each of these books. And this one is a pretty awesome one that we're going to get to read about. It's in the middle of the book, and it's in Jeremiah 31. So if you guys want to take a second and read there, because I'm only taking a couple of verses. But as I just talked about taking Jeremiah 29 out of context, I certainly don't want to get caught with that. So I'd encourage you guys, go to 31. And we're going to read this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I have made with their fathers on the day when I took them from the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now this is awesome. It's awesome because it speaks and it highlights the new covenant that's coming. This is not a trick question, right? That new covenant is the covenant that Jesus establishes. But watch the audience, right? Who's the audience that's being spoken here in this prophecy? Somebody? Anybody? It's Israel and Judah, yeah. This is God's continued redemption plan through even the new covenant to redeem his people Israel. Israel is all the kingdom of his people. He is still has that same awesome heart for them. That the new covenant even reaches redemptive power through them. So this is, this is our scarlet thread. It's, it's not a scarlet thread for us. It's a scarlet thread for his continued people. And I thought that was awesome, that through all of this, through all of these years, 
and all of the things that they have done, that he would lay in his word a prophecy for his kingdom of Israel and Judah, or, or all of Israel. And that the effects of the new covenant have no end. So let, we're going to take a second here, um, and we're going to pray. And we're going to embrace and just take awe in the fact of this new covenant that comes. And the scarlet thread that we see here. But I'd encourage you to do this. As you pray and reflect on this and understand two things. One, again, the character of God that this shows us. And two, directly pray for Israel. And the new covenant that will be realized to them and the redemption that comes through God and Jesus to them. So go ahead and bow your heads. Spend a couple of minutes. I will close us. Father, we come before you this morning as a congregation, God, a body that recognizes you as Lord and Savior, God, that sets forward, uh, that seeks to set forward your plan of redemption, not just for our lives, God, but the life of those around us. And we stand in awe this morning of your character that we get to see throughout your word. God, your truth, your justice, your love. God, your sovereignty that is on display. But I thank you that we can claim your character, God. It is for us. And God, even as we read Jeremiah today, and we look back at the people of Israel, God, and the mistakes that we make, and maybe we not look too far from our own eyes to see those same mistakes as well. But God, to continue to realize that you, God, in so many instances, laid out a plan of redemption if they just turned their heart to you. God, may we do that today. May we turn our heart to you. And we take pause here, God, and we pray for the kingdom of Israel that continues to survive through so many years and through so many trials and tribulations. And God, we, we pray, God, for their redemption as well. And, and God, and we just look forward to the revelation and the true reveal of all of your words, God, of all of your plans.